Chronicles of Leadership, Chapter 15, Puppy Walking DCI Parswood smiled encouragingly at DC Lara Lucky Dockage across the sugar-sprinkled Formica tabletop in the service station off the Ermston Bypass. I don't want to appear to be grassing on anyone, sir, she said. Of course not, Lucky. But if you see something going on that smells suspicious, you need a friend to sniff things out with. That's why you came to see me. I suggested we meet outside work. Rank doesn't come into it then. That's why you can call me Paul. Lucky understood. His name was Paul, not Percy as he was known to his face, or Prudence, the name he was more commonly called behind his back. Friends, Percy continued. I knew we could be friends the moment you arrived at Ermston. Just as long as we keep friendship and business separated with a firm hand. Yeah, Paul, but there's not many I could trust to be that sort of friend to me. The world we live in, an accidental slip of the lip and tongue start wagging. No need to worry about that, Paul. Sure there's not, Lucky. Now, what was it you wanted to tell me? It's the new man, DC Brother. He seems to be watching me all the time. Maybe he fancies you. Not that. I'd know that. Lots of them fancy you, Lucky. Does lots of them include DCIs? Would that worry you if it did? Not as much as DC brother worries me. He's watching out for something. Maybe for somebody. You don't need to worry about him. I've put him on duties that will not give him time to pester you. D.C. Bernard Brother assumed that the unpleasant reception he received on his arrival at Ermston was no more than an extended induction ceremony. It is what might be expected to happen to any new arrival. He remembered his first day at school and his statistic ceremonies. They taught him how to behave if you are the lowest of the low. Friends had gone on to Sandhurst and they had told him that their school days had been ideal preparation for their subsequent military careers. He suspected that neither was harsher than the first day jokes played at the expense of apprentices at the family engineering business. His decision to join the police had come as a major disappointment to his father, who had taken it for granted that his only son would join the firm after completing his university studies. His son's degree in law would be of some use as long as it was backed up with the really important skills of winning in the business jungle where guerrilla warfare and Machiavellian tactics were all important. Influenced mainly by a TV fantasy world, Bernard had originally seen himself as becoming a successful defence lawyer, fighting for justice in the law courts. He quickly found out it was a game where the lawyers had the main shares in the casino. He switched career and had never regretted the move. So, on to the police force and his current assignment. He knew that he had still to convince DCI Parswood that his move was an innocent one and had not been set up to spy on what was happening at the station. Parswood had been formal and rather suspicious at his first interview Rather unusual, you'd appreciate, DC brother, he had begun. An unexpected secondment not requested by us. You were parachuted in, you might say, from underneath the radar. Not a naughty boy move. I can see that from your records. 
Not with a message telling me it's a fast track move either. So why exactly? Is this something I should know about the move? You might as well tell me. It will save time that way. Brother said he assumed it was part of a personal development plan. Password had cited that. Of course, that's what it must be. There's plenty of scope for personal development here. More than in the Met, I'd say, although I may be biased. So be it. Password settled himself comfortably on his chair, looking up at Brother. I'll be able to think of something. Thank you, sir. Do you know what we call it when we have a request like this? No, sir. We look for what we call puppy walking, DC brother. Puppy walking. He smiled at the joke he was about to deliver. As a matter of fact, that gives me an idea of the perfect assignment for a young puppy walker. Yes, sir. I'm going to send you to the puppy farm, also known as Ermston University. You'll enjoy that. Our liaison officer there has got herself pregnant again. Password liked the idea. He could hardly have guessed that DC Brother was looking for a chance to fill the vacancy that had arisen at the university. From DC Brother's personal notebook. The university liaison work has to be fitted in with the various other labours which Password invents, mostly to amuse himself at my expense. Unfortunately, after one early assignment, I've been kept away from the Kingston Roberts case. My initial contact at the university was with a Mr Scrivener, a member of the management team. He has special welfare responsibilities. He spends time trying to impress me with a range of his scholarly achievements and knowledge. When we move on to discuss student affairs, he is knowledgeable and cares about them and the problems they face. The students are mostly undergraduates, attracted to Wormston from all over the world, trying hard to belong while wanting to be unique at the same time. Scrivener introduced me to Dando Llewellyn, who is a student rep and a campus celebrity. He's a mature student. His workers and animals rights campaigner is well known, and we have information about him on file, although no evidence of criminal activity. According to Scrivener, he is reliable in his commitment to student and other animal rights, an example of Scrivener's dry sense of humour. Dando is a guarded individual, aware that in our dealings we each have dual loyalties. He would never completely trust me. My student's support role could easily conflict with my duties as a police officer. Likewise, I could never completely trust him to alert me to students likely to get into trouble with the law. Then, at one of our meetings, his mood was different. There was a suppressed anger, but not directed at me. One of the students was caught up in trouble with a low-level dealer. She was in danger of ruining her chances at university. After a few more discussions, he reluctantly provided me with two names. One was a student. The other was that of the dealer, Deza Higgins. The technology of money laundering is well known although new monetary systems have introduced new versions. One of the latest innovations coming is the systematic method of providing those financial services which most banks would prefer to avoid. Dessa Higgins occupies a place somewhere in the middle of a pyramid of crime, above him the more important players, 
Below him, the unfortunate creatures such as the mules and even wretched enslaved women without legal rights or means of escape. He has access to violent enforcers from the fearsome streets of the Manchester's Moss side when he needs to enforce discipline. Desert prefers to target students. He doesn't know who he works for, only his anonymous contacts from the next tier of the pyramid. He receives his bundles of notes to be laundered, which he buys at a discount. The students hand over an agreed sum of money to buy the dirty cash, also at a modest discount, and have to keep them out of the clutches of the payday loan companies. Like the worst of the short loan companies, he is not averse to showing that he would be prepared to use violence to protect his business arrangements. He is sometimes accompanied by one or two of his moss-side muscle to help communicate the advantages to all concerned of staying on side. Desert is himself a victim. He is as scared of stepping out of line as are the desperate students he hooks onto. Sooner or later he will be expected to pay a far dearer price to secure his own survival. Susie Yup's article in the Mercury Students at risk from drug gangs. Students spend their generous grants on drink, drugs and partying. That is the popular belief. A recent report shows that it's just another modern day myth. There's much talk of a student drug culture. The reality turns out to be less shocking. There are students who tragically become addicts. Fortunately, this is rare. Although every case is a personal tragedy and a career in ruins, there are support systems on campus to pick up on the early warning signals from students. Most students are also aware nowadays that their grant is a loan to be paid back in the years after they graduate. They do not have the money to indulge in a serious recreational drug habit. While it is the kind of experimenting that many parents fear, the report suggests that the majority of students say they avoid illegal drugs altogether or spend more time each week on coffee than they spend in a year on banned substances of which cannabis still remains the most popular. There are always new drugs hitting the streets, including those still only classed as legal highs. Students are vulnerable because most universities have departments conducting research into manufacturing new drugs. The public completely underestimates the parabola of the problem, Detective Chief Inspector Parswood told me. It is based on evidence provided by students who want to paper over the cracks and sweep the dirt under the carpet. Our experience says to each and all of us there is a river of drugs abuse running up and down the streets of our cities. We are nationally on a slippery slope that can lead only to the bottom of the pond. We are forced to take officers off the streets and allocate them to work as liaison officers at the university. It is hard to overestimate or underestimate the dangers to students and schoolchildren, as well as to respectable members of the community. Deep Throat Report to Peregrine Meniscus has been infiltrated by members of an international criminal organisation. They operate outside involvement at board level, although it is possible that one or two board members may have knowledge of what is happening. We have identified two main sorts of activity under the single court name Bambi. Both of these target students. 
each brings great risk to the students who become sucked in. The first is money laundering. The other connects with an organisation controlling much of the sex industry in the north of England. Its operations are particularly active in the major cities of Manchester and Liverpool, in Lancashire and in Leeds and Bradford in West Yorkshire. Service stations along the M60 provide convenient business premises. These plans are being monitored by specialist agents, among whom are representatives from international security agencies. It is vital that nothing is done that might alert the criminals or interfere with their activities. A conversation recorded on a student helpline. Would you like to tell me a name I can call you by? It doesn't have to be your real name. You can call me Claire. Can't think. Okay, you can call me Carly. Hi, Carly. What did you want to talk about? It's not about me. It's one of my friends. She's in trouble. I don't know what to do. What kind of trouble, Carly? She won't say. But that's how I know. We talked about everything. We used to go everywhere. Now it's like I can't come out this week, can't go to Neverglades together. She just stays in mostly, doesn't want to talk. How do you know she's in trouble? I can see. When I go to her place, she's so oh, wired up. Can you explain wired up to me? Hyper, jittery, scared of something or somebody. As if she's expecting someone to arrive and she doesn't want me to see him. Boyfriend? Don't think so. Anything else you've noticed? She's starting to miss lectures. Excuses are rubbish. She isn't eating. I mean really not eating. And you think, I don't know what to think. If I say something and she gets into trouble, she will know it was me. Boyce trails off. Has she been in any sort of trouble before? Don't think so. She used to worry about money. Not so much this semester. How did her money problem stop? She found a part-time job. Did that solve the money problems? Suppose so. Have you asked if she would use this helpline? No. Do you think she would agree? Don't know. Maybe. I could ask her. Would you do that, Carly? Tell her about us. You can say we don't have to know her name if that's what she prefers. Later, Carly makes another phone call. Hi, Marcia, it's me. Hi, how are you doing? On the edge, right there on the edge. I'm real close by, I'm coming round. You can't come round here just now. I'm, I'm, I'm with someone, you know? No, you're not, you're just kidding me. No way, he's just arriving, right? Just leave it, leave it. Marcia, you still there? Shit, what's going down with her? The door to Marcia's flat was unlocked. Desert pushes it open and goes into the dusty apartment. Marcia is slumped in an ancient armchair, like the faded carpet and wallpaper it has suffered wear and tear from successive generation of student boarders. There is the faint but unmistakable background aroma of cannabis. He doesn't care if Marcia is one of the users in the house or not, although he needs to know if she was still clean enough for a new assignment. He has other plans for her. Marcia has barely changed his position since he arrived. Hi, Lieutenant, how's the war going? It amuses him to think up new greetings like that. You thought about what we discussed last time? She looks up. Yeah, thought about it. And? I get to choose who I work with, right? 
Right, it's just about having a nice time on a social evening. And of course, no one from your own university. Right, how did you say the money works? I bring it to you. You don't need to worry about that. You know you can trust me. What do you say? So I get a message. Where and when? The escorts make their way to where the guys are having their night out. The taxi picks us out. No heavy stuff. No names. You turn up hereafter like you do now with my money. Just like I've said. Just like I've been doing, only it's not for changing bread for someone else. It's for keeping what you earn. She seems to make her mind up. I won't be pre any which time I've got studying to do. No one's asking you that. You all become best friends. Have fun. You agree when and where's best for you all to meet. Yeah, okay, I'm in. A few minutes later, Desa left after another unanswered sneering joke. DC brother opened the door for the communal kitchen area and came into the room. You were brilliant, Marcia, he said, packing up the recording equipment. That's all we needed. You won't have to worry about Mr. Desa Huggins much more. He won't be coming back again. There won't be those fun parties he was trying to set up. But Marcia just looked down in silence at the worn patches on the carpet. The next day, Wendy's morning run. A lone runner in grey was competing her fifth circuit on the university sports field. A white rhyme had settled on the grass overnight. Out of view, but not quite out of earshot, traffic had begun building up on the bypass. Another and taller figure appeared from behind the changing rooms and caught her up rather effortlessly. They ran together for the best part of another circuit before the first runner broke a silence. Whew, two more four hundreds for me and I'm through. After another half circuit, her companion gave her the news she'd been waiting for. Nothing on Kinston Roberts. Early days and his connection with the university and meniscus may be important. We, we do have a result on the other matter. Marcia had been targeted by drug criminals. As far as we can tell, it was to be a pilot for a wider plan for recruiting students. We've moved just in time as Marcia was being set up for entry into a very nasty escort agency. The clients come from the staff of one university, the escorts from another. We have reason to believe that some senior academics are already involved. Marcia was being recruited when we stepped in. We've got a small-time operator. He's toast. If he cooperates, he's still due for a holiday in a high-security residence. If he doesn't, he may as well book in for a health break in Manchester Royal after his old business partners deal with him. Wendy Lockings nodded, saving a breath for the final 400 metres. And the student? As we agreed, we don't see why she has to be brought into the case. You decide what the university can do. Maybe move her back to student accommodation on campus. DC brother gave the slightest of acknowledgments and accelerated away. Wendy began a warming down lap. A good result for the university, she muttered. A good officer to have on your side, too. But there were too many unanswered questions which continued to nag away at her. It was all far too simple. She knew that the liaison officer, in contradiction to what she had just said, did not have the authority to ignore Marcia's serial misdemeanours. 
Wendy assumed that Marcia's conversation with the laundry boy had been taped. A detective constable certainly wouldn't be able to take unilateral decisions about setting up the sting. That would require a senior officer's agreement. It would be unlikely to have been Parswood. Much as he would want to hog any credit to be claimed, he was noted for avoiding risks. He wouldn't move or allow one of his junior officers to without prior cover from an even more senior figure. The whole escort scene made her angry. It also puzzled her. Although she accepted that academics, as prone as any other members of the public, to playing away as Scrivener described it to her once. She was fairly sure that DC Brother was one of those mysterious figures who had been nudged in her direction by her old mentor, Bertie Farm.